Premier David Eby uh, revealed last week that the province ordered a forensic audit of BC Housing in July when Eby was the Minister of Housing, an investigation that was never made known uh, to the public. The forensic audit was the result of an independent critical report on BC Housing that found problems at the Crown Corporation, including inadequate oversight over decisions and spending and unclear roles and responsibilities, uh, potentially impacting BC Housing ability to manage risks. Now, ultimately, Mr. Eby uh, fired BC Housing's entire board. Now, following Mr. Eby's revelation during question period last week that an audit has been underway for months, the province released the terms of reference. The Ministry of Finance's Controller General has ordered uh, Ernst & Young, the company that wrote the original report, to handle the audit uh, as well. Or well, Our next guest also has many questions in regards to how BC Housing has run. Dr. Julian Summers is a professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at SFU. We certainly view him as an expert on homelessness, mental health and addiction on this show. He has been a guest uh, on this show and on many others at CKNW and I find him to be in tremendous help uh, when trying to navigate uh, through various topics and issues in and around housing and homelessness as well. Uh, Dr. Summers, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's a pleasure, Jazz. Thanks for your very kind intro. Well, uh, you have lots of experience uh, in dealing with a lot of these issues, as I said. Let's start first with just a sort of, I guess, a high-level question. Does this audit surprise you at all? Uh, No, it's been uh, an awfully long time coming. Um, BC Housing's performance has been known, and, and I don't mean among insiders, it has been known publicly through published results to be markedly inferior to um, approaches that cost about the same amount of money and that are feasible to implement, and they're feasible to implement because they have been implemented and compared against uh, the status quo here. Um, And yet uh, they've uh, continued on very much the same path. They've been completely unfazed by the development of new evidence of superior practices and over time, they've become they've escalated their defensiveness um, against any calls to change. So, um, in the, in the context of that culture, combined with markedly increased budgeting and a flow through that uh, can be seen to have limited safeguards, um, it's really not surprising at all. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your specific experience. I mean, you deal with mental health and addiction, uh, ha- uh, housing and homelessness. Uh, what experiences specifically have you, ha- have you had with uh, with BC Housing? Well, uh, quite <laughs> surprisingly limited given what we've done. Over the last 20 years, I've worked with... Um, Uh, mostly with uh, provincial uh, data sets spanning multiple ministries. It was launched under an effort about 20 years ago Mm -hmm. to try to figure out how to respond to so-called prolific offenders. And this became quickly apparent were people who are experiencing homelessness, addictions, mental illnesses, and for prolonged periods of time. So really need something extraordinary and something that combines resources across a number of sectors in order to uh, experience a, a new path. So that work has been going on. We've produced a number of uh, a body of research showing where are people who um, are the highest concentrations of people who are in this kind of syndrome 
And then of all the programs that have been launched that include BC housing, so specialized courts, outreach teams, uh, intensive case management services, housing first, so things that the province has participated in, we've used these data to evaluate how they have performed and how they've helped people. And in many cases, they've resulted in marked changes in how people benefit. Um, as I said, that research has been not only um, ignored by BC Housing, but in a recent city hall rezoning application, it doesn't sound very glamorous, but it called it, 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 it elicited thousands of respondents to Vancouver City Hall who were opposing a development that was being jointly sponsored by Minister Eby and by BC Housing, it prompted the then CEO of BC Housing to make his first ever in-person petition to a city hall rezoning application. And he came and essentially accused me and other people who were speaking critically of their plans as NIMBYs who are ignorant. So if anything, over the years, that organization has doubled down in its opposition to get with the times. And was that the development at Arbutus and 7th? It was. Yeah. It was. Um, now, is this the same study that, that you did on homelessness? The total research cost was about $120 million? Yeah, so that's, believe it or not, that's one of the studies that um, has been done using this combination of multi-ministry data. It's unique in the world to have uh, coverage of an entire population, as we do in B.C., spanning uh, social development, so, so income assistance, including housing, um, all health services, as well as all justice-related services involving, involving corrections and courts. So we're the, only, we're, we're the only entity in Canada that has this, and we've been using these data uh, now for over 20 years, including in randomized controlled trials. And that's the study that cost that, that, astot- that very large figure. Listeners should rest assured that 90% of the dollars went to uh, the services that um, were intended to benefit people, not to research costs. But we learned from this in the clearest possible ways what is the magnitude of the difference between the status quo, so what's currently being on offer, not only from BC Housing, but health authorities and other services, um, in comparison to what, what, we, what we believe as experts in the area to be the, 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 the most advanced form of practice. And by the way, it costs about the same as the status quo. So we have, this head-to-head res- we have these head-to-head results, and the, the differences are stark. And when you presented this report, what happened? Well, over about an 18-month period, we at SFU worked with a number of agencies around the province to talk about scaling it up and taking it from a research uh, uh, domain into implementation, much like you would with, say, a COVID vaccine. You, you do a randomized trial to establish its effectiveness. Once you found that it's effective, you move into mobilization. So we worked over about 18 months to, to discuss what it would be, what it would look like to mobilize this. It needs to be done in multiple parts of the province. So we, 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 we earmarked four regions of the province. Um, assured the province that we had the necessary human resources, and we committed to using the same interministry database to ensure that we were hitting the same benchmarks in terms of reductions in crime, reductions in hospitalizations, uh, people returning to work, um, all those kinds of things that we had already published. And the response we got one week later was, please immediately destroy the database. What was their reasoning behind that? 
Um, well, the reasoning in the letter is uh, unpersuasive. Uh, what the main point was, you can get you can get these data through other sources, which um, over a year later remained uh, remains false. It's not possible. It's it's simply not possible to do that. The the truer answer came through a phone call um, at the request of one of the deputies that I presented to who said that my remarks had angered people in the room by implying that the government had mishandled homelessness, addiction, and mental illness. And, uh, quote, the, my remarks were, would, uh, got me into trouble. So that's, uh, I think, a clear insight into the motivations of the government and their, and, and their behavior. You, you don't send a, a letter ordering the immediate destruction of a 20-year-long research project on a Friday afternoon if it reflects a well-reasoned plan, and this certainly did not. And roughly what, what time was this? What, what, what month, what year? Uh, it was last year in, uh, in March, last year in March, end of the fiscal year. I'm a bit gobsmacked here. You, 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 you are viewed as an expert on mental health and addiction, uh, significant research that you've done and continue to do. And government tells you to destroy a database that is there and your research shows that how you can help and they're asking you to destroy that research? Well, I've learned since that at the same time I was making that presentation, the minister had already committed to the development permit that that wound up getting me and a number of other people before city council in Vancouver. And that development permit involves um, a, a project that is the antithesis of what our evidence showed worked the best. It was a building um, with a secure entryway with a consumption site inside uh, designed for people with addictions to live in SRO-type buildings where they uh, could not be reconnected with their kids or with family members, no supports on site for uh, mental illness or for things that are vital to community integration, like finding and keeping jobs and that kind of thing. So um, the group I was presenting to already knew that this was the direction government was going in. And the data that, I'm, that I was referring to were probably the best means of showing that what they were planning is going to result in huge waste. Uh, Dr. Summers, in regards to this specific incident that uh, you, you've been talking about, uh, what needs to happen in your mind moving forward so people like you can continue to do the work that you do, the good work that you do, uh, and so we can actually fix BC housing? I Personally, I, I believe we need a new provincial government um, because the, the issues that are intertwined and that oppose implementing evidence, what, what I'll simply refer to as effective uh, solutions that, to the best of our known uh, ability, um, are um, also overlapping with uh, a, 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 an agenda to introduce interventions, particularly a public supply of addictive drugs. And so, the the main elements that this government is is pursuing um, that are targeted at the patient population that we've worked with most closely are decriminalizing possession for the purposes of personal consumption and providing a publicly funded source of addictive drugs to people in BC. And those two practices are uh, pretty easily seen as um, not only ineffective, but highly, highly dangerous. 
And um, it simply so happens that there are parties in B.C. who have financial and personal interests in the success of these interventions. But let me emphasize that it that the idea of um, providing addictive drugs to people who are chronically homeless, most of whom are experiencing serious mental illnesses, and that that is the best we can do is crazy. Um, it, 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 when we've offered people choices, they take us up on, on, on the options that we present to them. Those, they, they take us up on choices of housing. They take us up on help reconnecting with um, family members that they've been estranged from, relocating into communities. Almost everyone chooses a home outside of the downtown east side or the places where we meet them. And those interventions have been shown to result in transformative effects in people's lives. And no one is left asking us, gee, can you also please provide us with a free supply of drugs? The vast majority are trying to overcome their addictions. But this government is committed to leaving all of the causes of addiction in place, in fact, denying that they even exist, Hmm. and instead layering on top a supply of addictive drugs that is going to deepen our catastrophe. Uh, In regards to BC housing itself, and I know you don't deal with them directly, and you've said that, is it just too big and too bureaucratic? at this point, or do you think it's, it's just a, it's a change in government and change of executives and a brand new mindset that's required there? The, the people that, so yeah, their background is in uh, um, uh, services like providing housing for uh, families with low incomes, providing housing for seniors, and those both happen to be groups of, in the population who in many cases enjoy living with others with, in, with similar experiences. But when it comes to serious mental illnesses and addictions, that is not what people choose. No one chooses housing with exclusively other folks who've been homeless and who experience mental illnesses and addictions. When given choices, Mm -hmm. people overwhelmingly select the same sort of mix of housing that you or I might choose or listeners might choose. Diversity, they choose a mix and and they choose location based on factors that may not even occur to them. The, the, the store nearby reminds them of something or the park nearby. And that's the experience that, that, that we've had. BC Housing is rigidly adhering to this congregate model where everyone must live together. Um, it just so happens this is the model run by many of the um, people closest to BC Housing, including the wife of the former C- CEO. But in head-to-head comparisons, when we look at the outcomes of people who are randomly assigned to housing in a congregate building versus housing that they get to choose and that's scattered, by the way, these two things cost the same, the results are markedly different. Only the scattered housing results in substantial reductions in medical emergency and crime, while those who are living in the congregate housing have no difference compared to people who remain homeless on those measures. And the answer is the culture of the building. We rise to the level of the standard that surrounds us the, and, and, and where our aspirations are. And if we house people all together in, in buildings with others who share similar histories, the culture of the building becomes the culture of the street. Dr. Summers, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jazz. Thank you.